Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. I just want to read a couple of verses of scripture this morning and uh, praise the Lord and just share just a word of hope for you this morning and encourage you this morning. As I was thinking this week, um, I don't know about you all, but in my house, Hallmark Channel is running like 24-7 and... Uh, Unless, yeah, unless I happen to get the remote, which is, you know, uh, not often. And I've kind of been banished to the basement um, where there's a TV down there. But, um, but the other night I was watching a, a Hallmark, Hallmark show, and, and I, as I watched it, I, I thought to myself, you know, some of these holiday shows are, uh, it's interesting. Some of them don't have some of the, some of the, Christmas themes that you would think that they would they would have or to be, and I thought to myself, you know, uh, they're just not celebrating Christmas like I know how, like I like we should know how to celebrate Christmas. You know, much of it is not about Jesus, but about uh, relationship and all those things are positive. They're positive Christmas stories. All those things are good, but you know, I. I was looking around from the channel last night just looking for something that was classical. You know, just a, uh, I've not seen very many classical Christmas shows on TV this year. And uh, how, many, how many of y'all like the classic Christmas shows? The White Christmas and, uh, you know, Miracle on 34th Street and, uh, and all of those classics that we watch every year. And uh, sometimes you just can't find, find those anymore or as much anymore. As as you as as they have different ones that are on now, and of course they have the newer classics like Christmas Vacation. I don't know about you, but that's one of my favorite is uh, Christmas Vacation. So, um, but they just don't they just don't have those much anymore. And so, but this morning I want to read in the book of Luke chapter one. I want to read a verse of scripture to you, and then I want to um, I'm going to preach a message. Uh, this morning, uh, with kind of an original title, um, so you know, this I was thinking this morning about what to preach, and and as I was praying about what to preach, uh, sometimes we can lose through the Christmas season. We can lose the value of what this season is, and lose the value of who Christ is and the greatness of who He is. And so this morning, I want to preach a message with an original title, um, uh, Make Christmas Great Again. And, um, and so we want to remind you to always make Christmas great. What makes Christmas so great this morning? Luke chapter 1 and verse 30, it says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and his and and shall be shall be called his name Jesus, and verse thirty two, and he will be great, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will be called great, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. You know this is a great passage of scripture, and. Uh, uh, it says, because Jesus will be called great. The way to make Christmas great again 
is to consider, seriously consider and fully meditate on and passionately believe what makes Christ great. What makes him great this morning? What makes him uh, uh, unique this morning? What makes him different this morning? Two children were riding in the car, and it was Christmas Eve, and they were heading to the Christmas Eve service. And a four-year-old who was sitting in the back with his older sister was singing Silent Night. And with all of his might, he came to the end of Silent Night. And, and this is what he said. He said, sleep in heavenly beings. And she said, that's not how it goes. And she corrected him. She said, it's sleep in heavenly peas, she said. And so, you know, it is a, a picture of two people correcting each other. Um, uh, and it sounds like, you know, somewhat of our nation and somewhat of our national leaders today who are trying to tell us uh, how to live um, and, and, and they're in peas, beans and peas uh, they, themselves, and, and, they, and they haven't gotten it right. But only one person has gotten it right, and his name is Jesus. And I want to make sure this Christmas season that I'm not living in beans and peas and that I'm living this holiday season correctly. And one of the ways is to understand what makes Christ great, what makes him great. Now, one sermon is not going to scratch the surface of his awesomeness and his greatness and the allotted time that we have. But if we, if we, if we get a vision of who Christ is, if we understand who he is, it is enough in knowing him that would make all of us drop to our knees in awe and worship him and to see enough of him that this morning to make us uh, to make Christmas great again in our lives. So what is it that makes Christmas great? I just want to talk about a couple of things about Christ that makes Christmas great in our lives. And if we, if we can know these things and understand these things, then Christmas becomes something more different than just what others look at as Christmas to be uh, in the world and hour that we live in, in this hour. You know, reading the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2, uh, I was amazed when you know that the, uh, the Magi came from afar and they came to worship Jesus and they came to worship him. And three times in those first 11 verses, the word to worship him is mentioned. They didn't just come to sing, they came to worship him. They came to a manger scene and they came there uh, to see not just a baby, but they come to see a king. They come to see one who was a king. Matter of fact, Herod was so concerned about it that he called the scribes and Pharisees, and immediately the scribes and Pharisees were able to tell who this Jesus was that was being born in Bethlehem, that he was, he was going to be a king. And so the way that these magi was to worship was going to define who this child was. And just like Herod knew this wasn't just a baby, that he, he's more than a baby because we know that uh, uh, when a king is born, a king just doesn't come. A king comes to take over. A king comes to, to we live in a society that wants a baby, but they don't want a king. We live in a society that wants pine trees decorated with tinsel and lights, but not a Christ uh, with a with a bloody man that died on the cross for the sins of the world. We want Santa with access to the chimney, but not a God with access to our hearts. Uh, 
We want a season for one day, but God uh, wants every day of our lives. And so Santa wants a chimney, but Jesus wants our heart. Santa wants a day, but God wants every day. Santa has a list of naughty and nice, but Jesus' list says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he's come to change that in our lives today. He came to change that aspect in our lives today. And so we can't get wrapped up in what the world has to sell that we miss what God has for us in this Christmas season. And so when we talk about making Christ great again, I want to talk about a couple things that makes him great and just draw your attention to that this morning for just a few minutes. What makes him great this morning, number one, is this, is his miraculous incarnation. In other words, it's a fancy way of saying Almighty God became a man in the person of Jesus. His miraculous incarnation. In other words, Paul said, said that, that this, this thing uh, is a mystery or a controversy. In 1 Timothy, he told Timothy, he said, this is a mystery. And he said, this mystery of the incarnation, the miraculous incarnation of Christ. His miraculous incarnation, Almighty God became a man in Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and what? It dwelt among us. As if He is so fully God that there is no room for Him to be man, or that he's so fully man that there's no room for him to be God. But he was simultaneously the God-man Jesus. And what makes, it's what makes him great and unparalleled in, in all, throughout all of history. In other words, Jesus stands alone in his person. He stands alone that none can compare to him. Paul picks this up in 1 first, in Colossians 15 uh, 115 when he says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation it doesn't mean he was the first created firstborn there in the Greek means that he was preeminent he was preeminent over all of creation he was he stands alone he is unparalleled Colossians 2 9 says for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the invisible God is like, look at the visible Jesus. We know the visible God by looking at the visible Jesus. John 14, 9 says, when you've, he said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Jesus didn't didn't just come as God to reveal what God is like. Jesus came as a man to become as a man so that, so that he, through certain, through certain things that he could free man of, that he could set man free from. Hebrews chapter 2, and I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, In so much then as, as the children... We have partaken of the flesh and the blood. He himself likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him 
who had the power of death, that is the devil, and released those who through fear of death were all, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful, faithful high priest and things pertaining to God to make the propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to pay man's price for sin. As a man, he destroyed death and the devil. As a man, he released us from fear and death. As a man, he shows mercy and sympathy because he suffered and was tempted like us and brings us aid even in our own temptation so that we too can live victoriously this morning. And so his miraculous incarnation, almighty God becoming the man in Christ Jesus. In other words, as God shows us, as God, as God, he shows us who God is. As man, he delivers mankind from evil. He shows up as man to conquer the things man needed to have to conquer. In other words, he became man so that he can conquer the things which we as men have to conquer. And to show us God in the flesh. How unbelievable and great is that to us this morning. Number two, he is great because of his multiple offices. Offices he's hold due to the works he did. This speaks of his greatness. The offices that he holds because of the works that he did. Luke chapter 2 verse 11 says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David, one, a Savior, who is Christ, two, and three, the Lord. In other words, he, he holds office. All, all the different offices, uh, multiple different offices that Christ holds, again, we behold his greatness because he holds all of these offices due to the work that he had done. So what offices does he hold? He holds the office as our redeemer. Titus 2 verse 14 says that he purchased us out of sin, slavery, and, and power, and, and the penalty of sin. He re, he's our redeemer. He holds the office of our redeemer. He holds the office of sac- our sacrifice. Hebrews 10 12 says that his bodily his body was broken and his blood was shed. He became our ultimate sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he became our ultimate substitute. He paid the penalty, our penalty and died in our place. He died in our place. And so he, he took our sin and he, he, gave, he substituted it for his righteousness. We now have his righteousness. And one of my favorite is Hebrews 7.22. He's our guarantee of God's merciful covenant. The surety of who he is. In other words, that he came to assure us a better covenant than than those that had. Jesus' work uh, came. God assured us a better covenant. Uh, I don't get it right all the time, but I am assured and guaranteed that through Christ... His mercy through his covenant, I can have relationship with God. He came in the office of a prophet in Mark 6. He represents God to us. 
He's our priest, Hebrews 4, 15. He represents us to God. With sympathy, he represents, he stands before God, ever making intercession for us. He came as our king. He come as the king of the Jews, Luke 23. He came as king of the saints, Revelation 15, 3. And he came as king over all, Revelation 19, as king of kings and lord of lords. He came to bear the government uh, is on his shoulders. In other words, he holds the office of bearing the government upon his shoulders. Such authority and power. In other words, he was given all of the, of the weight of the world upon his shoulders that rested upon him and, and, and all of the, of the coming world. They, we can trust him because he holds everything in his hands this morning. And John 15 says that he holds the office as, as our friend. He says he is our friend. Three times in three verses in John 15, 13 through 15, he is, he, he is, our, he is our friend and our Savior And I would say this, that it's good to have friends in high places. Amen? In each office he has gained a submitted glory, and therein he is and shall be great, as Charles Spurgeon says. says, As Jesus stands, as, as as he stands in the places of the multiple offices that he holds, he is unrivaled, he is unparalleled, and he is unmatched this morning, and that is what makes him great this morning, the fact of the offices that he holds through the works that he has done. Number three, he's great because of his magnificent achievement achievement through the death, burial, and resurrection. He finished our salvation. John chapter 19, verse 30, when he said, It is finished. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. It says our sins shall never be remembered again for the believer. Hebrews 8, 12. They shall be cast in the sea of forgetfulness. How many are thankful that your sins will be remembered no more? They've been cast as far as the east is from the west. And if we receive his forgiveness, they shall never be brought up again. For we don't stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but the bema seat to receive our rewards, but never to stand before the white throne judgment for our sin. He purchased our redemption, 1 Peter 1.18. He freed us again from slavery. He purchased our justification. Romans 5.1 declares declares that we are righteous and blessed. In other words, we carry the righteousness of Christ in us, our justification. He purchased our sanctification, Hebrews 10.10. In other words, which is our holiness, our innocence, and our purity. And it's filtered through the blood of Jesus. How many are thankful for the sanctification of God that allows us to be pure again and walk in purity in our lives? And that we can walk in holiness and regain our innocence again through the blood of Jesus. He conquered hell and death. Revelation 1.18 no, for now we have no fear of death, of dying, and the devil. He conquered it all. I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid of dying this morning because I know that Jesus had conquered all death and dying and overcame the devil. He opened heaven to all who believe. John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That wasn't something said by John. That was said by Jesus. 
For God so loved the world that he gave. He sits at the right hand of God in a place of authority and power and blessing. His magnificent, magnificent achievement makes him great beyond any compare this morning. And so he, is, he holds the multiple offices. He is mag, his magnificence of the achievement through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Number four, the adoration of creation makes him great. He represents, he represents multiple passages in Scripture that declare that, that says creation declares his greatness. Creation uh, ador, uh, 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 brings adoration to the Son of God. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. It says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 and elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seal, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and behold, a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them was tens was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I have heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen and the 20 and four elders fell down and worshiped him forever. In other words, this, is, this was a moment in heaven when all of creation recognized Christ as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world for us all. And he was redeeming creation. In other words, this was, this was a moment in heaven where all of heaven rejoiced. It wasn't just a charismatic worship service. Because, you know, I want to tell you, heaven is not going to be quiet uh, when it comes to making much of Jesus. Heaven is, is going to be a place that is going to be full of worship. And, and, and listen, we're all for reverence. But sometimes... When you start talking about the name of Jesus, sometimes there's just a release of worship and power. Why? Because nobody loves like Jesus, nobody saves like Jesus, nobody forgives like Jesus, and nobody rules like Jesus this morning. All of creation worships him. The passionate, unrestrained, eternal adoration and worship of creation declares his unestimable greatness throughout the ages. All of creation worships him. Five this morning. The majesty of his appearing is what makes him great. It declares how great he is this morning. Matthew 24 talks about his return. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars fall from heaven. Powers of the heavens are shaken and Jesus appears in the heaven, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. And Jesus comes in the clouds with power of great, of great glory. 
and the angels sound the trumpet gathering of the saints. His majesty and his great appearing when he returns. Jesus is coming back soon. And what makes Christmas great and what makes Jesus great is the fact that there's a day when he is coming to appear before us and will come and gather us together again. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes like a flame of fire. His head were many crowns. He had the name. He had a name written that no one except knew except himself. He was clothed in robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. It is then that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. The majesty that surrounds his return eclipses uh, even his birth. He was born as the Lamb of God. He will return as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. What makes Christ great this morning, what makes Christmas great again, is to understand his righteous judgment. He is righteous. He will judge righteously. How many know Christ is a righteous judge? Acts 17, 30 and 31 says, Truly these times of truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all. By the raising him from the dead. How many know Jesus will judge the world one day, believer and unbeliever? Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up from the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We don't like to talk about it, but the truth is, he is a righteous judge this morning. He will judge the earth. He will judge the world. Jesus will judge righteously based on on, uh, people's decisions, and the believers will be rewarded, and the unbelievers uh, for their retribution. It's our choice this morning. How do we want to stand before Jesus this morning? And then... Finally, this morning, 
There's the glory of His dwelling. What makes Christ great this morning will be the glory of His dwelling. The Bible says the city had no need, the sun and the moon to shine for it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. In other words, there's a dwelling place that God is bringing where the Lamb will be the illumination and the light and His, His light will shine throughout all of this, this place and the moon and the sun won't have to shine because of the greatness and the glory of who He is and the light of who He is. Revelation 21 uh, 3 and 4 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things had passed away. There'll be no more coronavirus. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more brokenness. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more sickness. There's a day that is coming that what makes Christ great is the glory of his dwelling place that is to come for those who belong to Jesus. And Jesus is so great and glorious that he alone lights heaven itself. No need of the sun or moon. He is so great and glorious that nothing fallen, broken, sick, or sinful is allowed to dwell in this place forever and ever. This is what makes Christmas great, is understanding that His greatness and His fullness, He's more than just a baby. He is a king that is in that manger this morning. And so... This makes Christmas great this morning that we are to pursue worshipful obedience toward Him and give all to serve Him and to love Him. In other words, how we see Jesus determines how we live our lives. And this morning is my feeble attempt to push back what I believe secular society is beginning to attack the things that belong to God and the way that we are encouraged this morning is to understand that it all belongs to him anyway. He is in charge. And if we understand how glorious he is this morning and understand how great he is, we can live differently and faithfully different this morning. And may these truths shape us and remind us constantly that he is on the throne. The greatness of Jesus never, we pray that it never gets diluted, that it never gets weakened, that it never gets compromised, and that, that we never allow what is secular or pagan to dilute the greatness of who Christ is this morning. And he's more than just a baby in the manger. He's someone to be worshipped this morning. He's someone to be worshipped through everything and all this morning. I want to close with this this morning. Celine, if you come. I want to close with this this morning. There is years ago, I had a family in my church, in uh, the first church that I pastored, and every year they had a song they sang all the time, and I really enjoyed the song. And occasionally I would ask ask them to sing it. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the song, but it's an old gospel song. Song is called "On My Father's Side." 
I don't know if you've heard that song or not. It says, just a young boy in the temple, temple one day, sharing with doctors. They were so amazed. Never had they seen one so young speak so swift. They asked him many questions. The conversation went like this. What is your name, son? He said, on my mother's side, my name is Jesus. But on my father's side, they call me Emmanuel. How old are you? Well, on my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my father's side, I have always been. Where are you from? Well, on my mother's side, I'm from Bethlehem. But on my father's side, it's, it's the new Jerusalem. What's your plan? Well, on my mother's side, I'll be crucified. But on my father's side, in three days, I'll rise and I will sit by my father's side. And it goes on to say, he was the son of God, yet the son of man. And I can't help but wonder how Joseph must have felt through an open door that day he heard his son reply. He said, you see, I'm the king of kings and that's on my father's side. We have to see Jesus this morning as on his father's side. And recognize that he is great this morning because of who he is. He is great because he's a great king this morning. And we worship him this morning. It's the Bible says that when the the Magi got to where Jesus was and they saw him, the Bible says, and they fell down and worshiped him. Because they recognized that there's someone greater than them. We have to understand this morning, this Christmas, that we worship a God that is, that is greater than us. That Christmas is much bigger than our Christmas plans or whatever we put in front of it. But we must understand that, that He's much greater. He came into the very world that He created this morning. Stand with me if you would this morning. See, Christmas is not only rooted in Bethlehem, it's also rooted in Calvary. What started as a cry in the manger ended up a cry on the cross. Don't forget what tree matters this morning. And don't forget that God started the gift exchange. He started the gift exchange by giving us His Son, And when we receive His Son, then we receive His righteousness. And uh, I don't know about you, sometimes when you get a gift, you know, you you receive that gift, and, and when you give a gift, when someone gives you a gift, you want to give them a gift back. A lot of times, family members, we give gifts, we want to give gifts back, and, and we want to give those gifts back. So God gave us a gift. He gave us Jesus. But what do we give him back? We give him back our lives. See, we don't just come to church to sing. We come here to worship Jesus, to give our lives back to him because he gave us his son. And because he gave us his son, we give him everything this morning. We give him our lives. We give him all this morning. A grandmother continually took her granddaughter to see a live nativity every year. 
live donkeys and camels and animals, and even a live little baby. Well, after 10 years, the granddaughter said, Grandma, doesn't that baby ever grow up? He's the same every year. <laughs> the truth is, Jesus does grow up. And then it's not, it's not about the tree that we have in our house. It's about another tree. An old rugged cross that he died on. And sometimes we reduce Christmas to singing around the pine tree instead of worshiping around a cross. Let me remind you this morning, Santa never died for anybody. But Jesus died for us all. And we've all come to worship this morning. And we've all come to not just look at a baby, but to worship this morning. See, it's more than just a baby. If it, wasn't, if it, was, if it was just a baby this morning, then people then governments wouldn't be worried about nativities being put out in front of schools and about government places. If it was just about a baby. If it was just about a baby, let them sing. Let them have their school pageants. Let them have, but it's not just about a baby. It's about a king. And a king just is not just a king. He comes to take over. And it's more than just a baby this morning. It is a king. It's funny that This is the only birthday we celebrate where you can't mention the name of the person that we're celebrating. You pull out Jesus, you pull the name out of Jesus, you lose the focus. The focus comes off of Him and comes on us. And so we've come to worship Him this morning. We get stuck on the mother's side when worship reminds us of the father's side. And what I did this morning was just to remind you of the Father's side of the greatness of who He is this morning. He's the great Savior this morning. And so I just want to take a moment as we close and let's worship for just a moment. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.